just like, it would break her heart if I don't go. <clears throat> so I get there, and she introduces me to everybody in Billy Bob's. And then uh, she said, yeah, she said, Buck told me when he was in high school, we were both really young, that he was just totally in love with me all of his <laughs> life. And she said, and now he's married to one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And I'm so in love with him, and I can't do a damn thing about it. <laughs> and then uh and then you had to order a bigger hat next day i bet <laughs> yeah. so so i was gonna just make an appearance and i was gonna bug out because i had to get up early in the morning for the legacy thing you know six o'clock in the morning and uh and then tanya's son Bo, who i've known since he's a little kid he's a road manager now he, uh, he come over to my table and he said, hey, he said, <clears throat> mom wants you to escort her off the skate stage after her last song. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, be glad to, of course. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> so then I had to stay through the whole deal. And then Riata and uh, Isaac were with me. So then we go to her bus and then Tanya and I got in the tequila, and we drank tequila on our bus till about four in the morning. <laughs> I went back, slept for about two hours, and then I had to get up and start the whole legacy thing. <laughs> and I thought, Tanya, I hate you today, because as soon as I left, their bus headed back to Nashville. So she was sleeping the whole damn day, yeah. driving back to Nashville. Yeah. I was working, so. Yeah, she, she just wanted to party it up with the yeah, cowboy. That's it, that's it yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you more about uh, Tanya, but that, I yeah, feel that like this is a good lead into our. Kind of brought it up, didn't it? Debacle, yeah. Okay, so you, you'd be a good person to ask about this. Ben has a jacket he's trying to sell me. No, you, I have a jacket you're trying to buy from me. Well, okay, I, well, anyway. So there's this jacket Ben has that he's looking to sell because uh, it's a little too big for him. Poor little guy. But uh, <laughs> um, but it fits me pretty good. Right. And I, yeah, and I like the jacket. My one holdup on it is it's embroidered, and it says Legacy of Legends on the back. Yeah. And I'm torn because part of me thinks that's pretty cool, but me personally, I've never been to a Legacy of Legends so I don't want to be like, you know, the guy who has like... Like a pretender. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy who has like the Ohio State jersey and he just like grew up in Cleveland or something. <laughs> <laughs> like has no real ties to Ohio State. That's how I look at it. But since you're the Legacy of Legends guy, you might have some input on it. Take the jacket. I think yeah. he'd look good in it personally. Yeah. Take the jacket. And then it, yeah. it's a little money in my pocket. Well, yeah, that's why you're saying that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's been saying it the whole time, but had no. to ask someone who didn't have any skin no, in the But game. I get it, you know, so that, you know, someone doesn't see that and go, well, that guy's a pretender, you know. Where'd he get that legacy jacket? Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Because I always look at it like this. And I live by this. <clears throat> I heard this. I wish I had been the one to coin the phrase, but I didn't. But it sure meant something to me. It's The phrase was this. 
I don't care much what anybody thinks of me because, frankly, it's none of my damn business. Yeah. And I heard that, and I thought, yeah, that's kind of me. Wish I'd thought of it, though. <laughs> really brilliant. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't. Uh, a lot of people waste a lot of time worrying what everybody else thinks about them. Yeah. And uh, I just, uh, as long as the horse is cool with me, mm-hmm. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay because horses are pure and, and they don't lie. If the horse says I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. Gotcha. So is that for, <clears throat> but I'm sure you still obviously had mentors and people who you held their opinion in high regard. Sure. Right. But it's, I guess you're saying that more for kind of, Joe Blow on the streets type of deal? Yeah, I mean, of course, I I always, from the time I met Ray Hunt, I just, I really wanted Ray to approve of me and, and be proud of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Because he was the first man that I ever met that that I really thought I wanted to be like. Anybody before that? Not really. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, it meant a lot to me that he... Yeah. Would eventually be proud of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the meantime, you could kind of block out the noise. Yeah. 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 No, I like that quote. I like that quite a bit. You can get, <coughs> sorry, you can get so, so hung up in trying to please everybody or get approval from people that you really don't get much accomplished. And, and you're going to try harder to, get the approval of somebody that maybe just is not into you. You're going to spend a hell of a lot of energy on someone that is probably a total waste of time. Yeah. And the people that care about you, you don't have to work that hard. Hmm. And, you know, and I mean, I feel like that around the clinics that, that I'm around people that do really care about me and they think what I'm doing is meaningful and important and uh and likewise i i treat them like they're important too yeah so i don't treat anybody <clears throat> like they're less because they're maybe inexperienced they don't know much or uh, i don't i don't treat it that way yeah and that shows yeah because you don't uh you don't let anyone monopolize time in the clinic no you know you give you're pretty much as egalitarian as it gets. Yeah, really, you know, um, I've seen some of these other people that do clinics, and I'm not going to digress, but to where, you know, the one that looks like a supermodel, she she would get all their time because that person putting on the clinic isn't really there for the horse in the first place. They're on the make anyway, you know. Yeah. And <clears throat> maybe someone who wasn't, powerful or wealthy or influential or or maybe a, a model or something they might get kind of neglected i'm not that guy i've never been that way and uh people are are that are at my clinics are there for the right reasons not too often do i get a turd you know that i just think yes dang i hope i don't see that guy again <laughs> that's pretty rare yeah Pretty rare. Well, that's good. Yeah. Has that changed over the years? 
Yeah. 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 When I first got started doing clinics, I was pretty young. I had a lot of experience because you got to figure I was riding colts for the public when I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And I had to <clears throat> because I was in a foster home. And my brother and I, we were, you know, wards of the court. We got $100 a month. And Horst and Betsy didn't have a lot of money. So they said, You're, you'll, you can live here and we'll put a roof over your head. But you have to pay your own way because we're not wealthy people. We don't have the money. So you got to buy your own school clothes and supplies. And if you ever want to have a car, you got to figure out how to get the money to get it. <clears throat> and we, we paid a certain amount of money for our food. So a hundred bucks didn't go very damn far, even in the, in the seventies, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so my foster dad told me pretty early on, I hadn't been there too long and he wasn't really, uh, he wouldn't have struck you as a real sensitive guy. But so one day he told me, he said, son, he said, I don't know if you're ever going to amount to anything. I thought, well, that's a hell of a way to start a conversation. But he said, in, in case you don't, uh, I'm going to teach you how to shoe a horse and ride a colt. And then uh, I know if you don't amount to much, you're always going to eat. You're always going to have a job. Because anybody who's a good hand starting colts, you can pretty much get along about anywhere. Mm-hmm. So he first taught me how to shoe. And the horses they had were bronchy. They were touchy suckers. Half of them were, had already been in the loco weed, you know, so... <clears throat> that doesn't work real well. The first probably dozen horses we shod, uh, by the time we finally got them subdued, they were tied down on the ground in the creek. wasn't very deep, but there's a little water lot we had there in front of the barn. Time they flop around, we got them. The only level spot was in the creek, and it's about six inches of water running through it. You'd put a put your overshoes on, <laughs> finish the shoeing job in the creek, you know. Oh, God. So, gosh dang, I thought, this this is hard work. Yeah. And uh, finally, a few weeks later, I shod one standing up, and I thought, hell, that shoeing ain't no big deal. Yeah. That was pretty easy. You're moving up in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it didn't take me too long to figure out that I wanted to make a living with my head higher than my butt. So I Naturally. thought, I'm going to start riding colts. So, <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to become successful where other people shoe my horses for me one day. But I was glad I learned how to shoe. Any good cowboy ought to be able to shoe his own horses. Mm-hmm. You know, gosh, you get ranch cowboys now that they'll hire on and they, they don't even know how to shoe a horse. Mm. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Well, you are no cowboy, first of all. <laughs> but so even kind of in the cowboy world, some guys have gotten soft, you know, but... But I think every every cowboy ought to be able to tack some shoes on a horse. And you might not look like a journeyman farrier, but uh, you ought to be able to do that, you know. So I'm glad he taught me that. <clears throat> that was, it was important. Yeah. And then I started, to get back to your question, I started doing clinics pretty early because I'd been around Ray right out of high school. And uh, when I started doing clinics, I was young enough that there were most everybody in the clinic was twice my age at least. 
Well, that's hard to take advice. If you're an older person, pretty mature, take advice from a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, I was handier than them and I knew more than them. And I rode a hell of a lot more horses than they were ever going to see in their life, even at that point. But because of that, there were people kind of gunning for me. They were bringing horses, really tough horses, trying to prove me wrong, trying to get me bucked off, trying to get me hurt to prove that I was a, a fraud. And well, that never worked out for them, but it would make you kind of hardened and kind of defensive because you're kind of fighting for your life every week. You know, you're getting set up all the time on horses that they think are going to skin you. And then you think about it like this, what kind of a person, you know, they would bring those horses and they were basically, uh, comfortable with the notion that the horse would either hurt me or kill me. And for the sake of their ego or whatever it was that made them do that, what kind of a person could be okay with that notion that they might end this young person's life because they didn't know, they counted on the fact I couldn't handle it, that I couldn't couldn't hike my leg that high, so to speak. They were counting on the fact I was going to fail, and they thought they had the right horse to make that happen. What kind of a person, what is your makeup like that you've decided that that's okay and that's a win for you if you get this guy hurt or he ends up maybe dead? Yeah. That is really perverted, but I dealt with that for years. And because of that, I wasn't, I wasn't as kind to people as I wanted to be. I was defensive, short, gruff, and <clears throat> I wasn't as I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. I was successful with the horses and I was successful at teaching them. And gradually as I got older I realized, hey, you know what, most of these people are here because they really love the horse and they really care about you and what you're doing. And they're really on your side, but that's part of maturing. That took some time to grow into that. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I was thinking about you this past week leading up to this and it came through something in my life where I'm realizing, well, now I see it a little different way after what you just said, but there's a lot of jerks or kind of assholes in the world. And I was like, man, Buck from an early age, probably got a good look at that. And like you had told a story about a guy a couple of weeks ago about meeting him as a boy and then seeing him later on. Yeah. And like that whole journey. And I was like, dang, you know, that's a, and I was like, maybe that was an advantage for him. But it sounds like what you're saying is early on and maybe because you were exposed to people that you considered were like assholes from a young age. And you're like, man, there's a lot of people like this. So for years there was more conflict and now, because I noticed even today you handled a few questions that were kind of, they seemed kind of, or you like you made comments to people that were doing things where I was thinking, yeah, that is pretty stupid. But you were really kind and you just kind of got on their side and you you really, you gave them a little affirmation, you know, telling them that they look like they're getting some stuff done. And, and you found a way that depending on how you act, that kind of determines if somebody's going to be a jerk or if they're going to be a yeah. kind person to you. Yeah, it does. And, uh, 
But I think you have to be kind of comfortable with yourself to be able to be that way toward other people. If you've, if you've got your own kind of demons you're dealing with, um, that's reflected in how you treat other people. And, um, I, I, I try a hell of a lot harder now at this stage in my life. And I have been for quite a while, but to, to be the kind of person when I'm doing a clinic that they go away from that thinking, I'd kind of like to be like that guy. And so it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, You know, I always have these things that I say that are really important to me and I'm, but I'm always following up saying, and damn, I wish I'd thought of that too, but but it meant something to me. So I remembered it. And my good friend, Sherry Pepper, she was who I worked for when I was riding all the polo horses. And, uh, even in those days, I was, you know, pretty handy guy, you know, got a lot done. And, uh, we were having dinner one night and, uh, she said, Buck, I'm going to tell you something. And she's like a mom to me, you know, I'm going to tell you something. She said, you know, when you die, people probably aren't going to remember all that long, how good a hand you were, but they're going to remember forever how you made them feel. And I thought, and it kind of almost irritated me that she said that because I thought, no, what in the hell did I do that made you want to say something like that to me? But I thought about it, and I thought, gosh, dang it. And Sherry wasn't even all that well-known for saying profound things. She wasn't. She's one of my dearest friends ever, but she didn't say that many things that were just like, oh, crap, that was, that was pretty good. But that night, I thought about it, and I thought, gosh dang it, she is right on the money. And I heard it at just the right time. So, you know, I I still think about that, and that's been decades ago that I heard that. Yeah. Because, I mean, civilization kind of goes in circles. So, like, you hear stories about people being jerks back in the old days, but do you think people have changed, or it's the way you you present yourself to people or, or anybody else that feels like people are nicer nowadays. Well, you know, I think as far as for my deal, people kind of gave up trying to set me up a long time ago, you know, as far as to get me in trouble mm-hmm. on horses because I proved they couldn't. So that was okay. It's like, all right, if I'm real, bring them. Yeah. Bring them. I know I can ride them. I'm not sure you can when I get done, but I'll guarantee you I can ride them. So in those days, I was like, bring it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, and when I, and I'd know when I was being set up. Someone would bring a tough horse a lot of times because they just didn't have anywhere else to turn. Okay, that's fine. I'll help you. We'll get him going. But you knew when you are being kind of set up by somebody who was trying to prove you wrong. And how, Sorry to interrupt. How did you know? Yeah, you get good at reading people. Yeah. And... <clears throat> you see who the owner is or who brought the horse and you you can tell by their expression, you know. Gotcha. And and there were a few times over the years where after I got the horse rode that I that I would even tell them in front of everybody, I'd say, "You know, I'm really sorry." They'd be like, "Why?" "Well, I'm sorry cuz you did the best you could to get me in trouble 
to prove me wrong. And I'm just so sorry you failed because <laughs> I know this was the best you had. And you got no game, man. Really, I really feel bad for you because you did the best you could. And I didn't even have to do the best I could to get your horse rode. Hmm. Once in a while, I'd say that. And of course, usually by then the crowd would just applaud. They'd be like, yeah, because they knew the deal too, you know. But uh, I don't get too much of that anymore. I think I probably, probably 30 years ago, already peed on those bushes, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. There you go. <laughs> Add that to the buckism. <laughs> yeah, <the> right. <laughs> no kidding. That's awesome. Um, so while we're doing this deal, one thing that I regret not asking you about, um, I, I guess it was back in the spring. Um, I was having dinner, uh, with Kurt Pate at an NCBA event, mm-hmm. and he said, um. He's like, next time you see Buck, you ought to ask him about the winter we spent roping wild horses <laughs> and um, like riding from fire to fire and stuff. And so could you could you talk a little bit about that? Because he told me a bit about that, but I'd like to hear what your perspective yeah, on it. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> he called me about that. He and Wally Wines were, you know, good friends of mine, and they they got this deal. It was uh, on private property on a private ranch the Beck Ranch, and uh, they had a bunch of wild horses, just Mustangs, you know, yeah. no different than you'd see out in the Great Basin. And they'd been there for decades. And the old man that owned the place, he really, really loved having them there. He just oh, yeah. really liked them. But, you know, there was getting to be too damn many of them. And, uh, but they, funny story, his family, <clears throat> They wanted rid of all these horses on the place. They want them, wanted them caught. And uh, the old man, they the family got together and they put him in a rest home in Deer Lodge. And uh, he still had the ranch checkbook, but the only thing he could write was $20 checks. That's it. And... Uh, he got the last laugh because he was kind of pissed off. They put him in a rest home because he didn't need to be in there, but the family just sort of took the ranch away. And, hmm. and uh, so he got a friend to come pick him up at the rest home, and they drove to the sale barn in Butte, and he bought a stud horse, five-year-old stud horse, and paid for him with $20 checks. <laughs> <laughs> and they hauled him back to the ranch and kicked him out in the hills with the wild horses. <laughs> so he got the last laugh. Oh, good. But we... Uh, they wanted to gather those horses and they had tried it like a bunch of farmers, you know, tried it with motorcycles and snowmobiles and well, that doesn't work, you know? So they just got them wilder and got them more pushy where you couldn't drive them. So we got, all we had was this overhead map of the country. <clears throat> and I'd say I'm guessing, but it's probably on 30,000 acres and a lot of it's really hilly and a lot of trees. So Kirk called me and said, hey, we're hunting these horses. You want to come? And I was like, hell yeah, I'm coming. And, I mean, that's the, I've never taken drugs in my life of any kind. Yeah, that was our next question, so that (laughs) covered that. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. But if that's what it's like, gosh, I'm glad I never tried. Because you'd fall in behind those horses, 
we'd make out a big plan. We stayed in this little flea bag hotel in, uh, in Drummond and we'd make our plan for the next day where we're going to run these horses. Cause they're all little bands. You know, it's not like in the movies where there's a hundred Mustangs, mm-hmm. you know, it's little family bands of horses, 10, 12, maybe four or five at times. And we'd have it all planned out where everybody's going to be. And then we'd make this run at them, try to catch them in a trap. And they were smart, boy. They were clever. You had to really admire them because uh, a lot of days we got skinned. You know, we'd we'd uh, use two horses a day and they'd just be plumb wrung out. And I'm talking 20 below zero. And after we'd make a run, when you're making a run trying to gather these horses, at 20 below, you were unzipping your jacket and, and just, you were hot with all the adrenaline. You were hot. And then as soon as you, they skinned you and you lost them, then you're freezing cold. Well, then we'd find an old dead pine tree. It got to where we had to stand up in the saddle to break the limbs off because we had been there quite a few days. <laughs> and we'd build us a fire and warm ourselves up and make another plan and take another run at them. And, but we got smarter as we went, but we wanted to do it real traditional. We had no radios, no airplanes or anything like that. We did it with a saddle horse and a rope. That was it. Mm. And, uh, gosh, we did everything. <clears throat> we snared some, we had one little group. We'd kind of run them quite a few times and then they'd get down into this Creek bottom and they'd skin us. We, they'd be like a ghost. It's like, where did they go? There's snow on the ground. So we kind of got to where we'd track them and they had a little routine where they would take you on a merry chase and then they got you. So we found this one other group and we weren't even trying to catch them. We just ran them for two or three days, figured out what they did. Then we got some old stiff team roping ropes. We took some baling wire and hung it up in the trees to where it was just about this length right here. And then we just put the chase on them and about the time they thought they'd gotten away, <laughs> so I let the bunch like go. Out of Star Wars. I let them. I let them go one day, and uh, I let them get away from me because they were going right to my snares. And Wally, good friend of mine, he said, "What? What in the hell were you doing? Why didn't you get there and turn them?" I said, "Listen, Wally," and you'd hear the rope go close up. And I said, "That's called success, Wally." <laughs> We'd rode down there, and he's like, "Son of a buck, that's." That's good. That worked good. So we snared a few. One day we had a, we got a bunch of them out on this big flat. We had run them down on this flat. Now, granted, it was a ranch we weren't supposed to be on, but we weren't hurting anything. And it's about a 4,000 acre flat. We all scattered out, started relaying them and just put the run on them. And I told everybody, I said, don't let them trot. Keep them galloping. Because if they trot a wild horse, they can recharge their batteries while they're trotting. And they'll kill your horse off. He'll hmm. he, he'll just you run out of horse. So we relayed them for two hours. And then when you finally get them broke down, they stop loping. They're in a, just a little kind of a jog trot. Then you just keep them on the move. And you keep them right there. And then we just started necking, front foot and horses, tying them down, racing off to the next one. And out of 24, I think we got 21 or two roped. So at the end of the day, there's this big snow field, and there's 22 head of horses tied down out there in the snow. Holy cow. 
And then we're like, well, crap, we're out of time now. We're running out of light. And we were, oh, it's eight or nine miles to where the horse trailers were. So we found this old abandoned calving barn just kind of falling down. We get the doors open to it, and we start getting those horses. We'd get them up, have a rope on a hind foot and one on their neck, and we'd ferry them into this calving barn and stuff them in there. Stuffed all those horses in there, and then got the doors shut, and then we found some old abandoned irrigation pipe and kind of crisscrossed that in front of the doors. So we left them in there all night. So we trotted back, went home, come back the next day with a couple of trailers, and then we started ferrying them out one at a time, one guy on a hind foot, one guy on their neck, and they'd hook onto your horse pretty quick. If they'd go to run by the saddle horse, you'd just stop them by a hind foot, and pretty soon you didn't have to do anything. They were just right at your stirrup, and they just we long trotted out with every one of them. Wow. And uh, we got them to the local auction yards there in Drummond, right by the railroad tracks, and all those old bastards in town, we'd go eat at the bar at night, you know, and they, and the, the Beck horses were pretty famous, you know, they'd be like, ah, oh, they skinned you again. You boys, you just trotting around out there. You ain't never going to catch a horse. Nobody can catch those horses. They've tried. You're going to fail like all the other cowboys. Oh, you're big, you're big cowboys. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're just a bunch of damn drunks, you know, sitting at the bar. They couldn't ride a stick horse. Well, finally, we caught all those horses and had them in the, in the yards right there, the railroad yards. We went to the bar that night and said, all right, all you assholes, we're going to be cutting some studs tomorrow down at the, at the yards at the, at the railroad head. Uh, you might want to come by. And they were like, oh, you caught some horses? Well, why don't you come find out, old man? <laughs> so they came down and all of them sat on the fence and, we roped and cut those studs that day and then, you know, gave them to the ranch owner. But, uh, if I could make my living, make a good living hunting horses, yeah, you guys would never see me again. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh my gosh. It's the most fun I've ever had on the back of a horse. I was going to say, that sounds like a heck of an adventure. Pretty wild. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes you're going quite a bit faster on frozen ground than what you would normally do. But your quarry is just right there. Yeah. And gosh. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing Kurt said. If Buck doesn't bring this up, uh, mention when he was loping through the snow on his bridle horse cinch and he completely endowed and disappeared into the snow. <clears throat> yeah, I did do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kurt, that. That, that's a message from Kurt, not yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty slick. Yeah. You know, and. The worst part, I mean, that sounds bad, but it all worked out. I really didn't get hurt, neither did my horse. But uh, the worst part is it's just those little bitty pine trees, mm -hmm. and they're just like hair on a dog's back. Those horses just, they'd go th through them at 40 miles an hour. Well, you're going through them too, trying to stay on them, but you'd hit those limbs, and there'd be snow on them, and that snow would just fall on you as you're crashing through the trees, and it'd go right down your leg of your shaps. And so you're soaking wet, but it's mm -hmm. 20 below. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You talk about freeze your butt off. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and the wet cotton and yeah. well, you probably have long johns on and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, it was miserable. <laughs> totally worth it. Yeah. How old were you then? <laughs> oh, I'd have been, uh, 
25, 26, yeah. 27, right around there. I got to find some new friends, Joe. Now, Ben, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Get a new friend group. (laughs) That that really... uh, (laughs) And leave middle Georgia. Yeah, I was going to say, that that story is a bit different than hanging out at Stony Creek Ranch. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. (laughs) We're like, easy, look out for the gopher holes. Yeah. (laughs) An easy trot now. A A jog. Turkey might pop out of the bushes and scare kids. Yeah, you got to hold your rope. (laughs) Anyone that visits us gets the speech about how... You see, you got to hold your rope and you got to look for turkeys. Yeah. 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 Got <laughs> oh, to walk. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad I asked about yeah, that. Yeah, it was fun. It was oh, the most fun I ever had. Uh, Kurt and me and Wally and <clears throat> Bob Blackwell was out there. Pretty well known cowboy. He's pretty sick now. You know, he, he can't even ride anymore. But, but uh, oh man, Ron Goddard. I mean, a bunch of good cowboys, Kurt Ilgen. But it was me and Wally and Kurt were kind of the nucleus. We were the guys, you know. And, uh, gosh, we'd invite people out there, and then they'd freeze their ass off for two or three days. We'd get them on a weekend, and then couldn't get them to answer our phone calls anymore. (laughs) It's like, well, we got to get another friend. And we went through all the friends we had hunting horses just to get some warm bodies there to fill all the holes when you're making a big run at them. And we went through every damn friend we had that winter, and then when it was all said and done, it was me and Kurt and Wally were still yeah. there chasing horses. I guess that kind of helped you define your your friend group a little bit. Yeah. You kind of knew where everybody stood. And well, one time, who had <clears throat> Mary and I, Mary and I had just gotten together, and Mary rode quite a bit in those days. And I said, Mary, you you know, all the guys said they're going to bring their wives, <laughs> and we're going to hunt horses this week. So all the wives are coming, so you need to go, you know, and it'll be fun. You know, it'll be kind of like a family outing kind of a thing. So I get there, (laughs) and I meant it. You know, I wasn't making it up. All the guys said their wives were going to come. Well, I get there, nobody's wife came, and there's Mary on her old gray horse. Well, and I put her up kind of in a strategic place near the trap, and, uh, well, she sat up there and froze her ass off because she's not moving. She's just sitting there on her horse waiting for the big run. And it was an important role because she needed to be there to bend him. But I, I, I thought, well, I'll put her there because I don't really want her galloping 35 miles an hour on frozen ground. You know, she could get hurt. Yeah. So I'm kind of protecting her. But by the time we get the run made on the horses and we didn't catch any that day, she's just like, shaking and shiver and i'm like oh crap i feel terrible then we went and got a fire built and got her warmed up but uh that was the last weekend i saw mary gathering horses that's <laughs> it she's like you boys have a good time i because yeah. i'm not going to be there <laughs> <laughs> that'd sour you on it pretty quick i'd imagine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but that's and ray used to tell stories about running horses in nevada and uh he said the same thing. He said, there's, there's no way you can have any more fun on a saddle horse mm. than hunting, hunting Mustangs. That's <clears> awesome. Yeah. They had just, gosh, what a, what a neat time. Glad I got to do it. You know? Yeah. I probably kidding. wouldn't go up there and freeze my ass off again. Yeah. But, uh, then again, I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you lived to tell the tale. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know. That's cowboy stuff that a lot of people never get to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I did it because, you know, of course, now it's illegal to run Mustangs. You know, the BLM, they put you in jail for it. Hmm. You, unless you're working for the BLM, of course. Hmm. So you don't just go out on government ground and run Mustangs. You know, some do still, but, you know, it's kind of on the down low. Yeah. But uh, you just don't do that. And uh, so to get a chance on private ground to do that, it was quite a quite a neat thing. A lot of young guys will never get to see that. So so it's still legal on private ground? Oh, yeah. Today? Yeah, yeah because technically the landowner owned the horses. Okay. So it, it's not... Um... It's not like a native species then? No. Wild horses are not indigenous. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew that, but so, the, it's not, they don't, the laws don't apply like you would the elk on a ranch no, or something. Yeah, no. That makes sense. private property, just like having a herd of cows yeah. out there. So, yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Do you want to, I want to hear about that deal you were talking about. Uh, with Mexico. Oh, yeah, we were talking about. Yeah. Ben was telling me about this. I hadn't heard about this. Well, yeah, because I wanted to hear it from you a little bit. Because at some point, did you go, like, hang out with vaqueros and to sharpen up your roping, or were you teaching them? Or did you hang out with any of those guys for a roping benefit or just for fun? Oh, no, I went down there, well, for fun, too. Yeah. <clears throat> I My first cowboy job I ever had real cowboying job that was full-time. Uh, I was cowboying on the weekends with a friend of mine. He would come out on the weekends. I was full-time, but he'd come out, and his name was Chucho, one of my best friends. Jesus Martin, Jesus Benner Martin del Campo Santana. <laughs> but Jesus was his name, but we called him Chucho. That's kind of a nickname for someone named Jesus. And uh, so we doctored thousands of cattle together, had a big steer outfit. They had about 16,000 yearlings. And so we roped a ton. And, and he, at the time, I was still juggling cowboying and doing rope tricks. And I was still performing in rodeos and stuff and doing what I did when I grew up as a kid. And uh, so he showed me some of the Charles style uh, roping, which is different. You know, the Americans spin ropes and they turn in their fingers. And the Charo-style rope, and you do it with coils in your hand, and every reverse turn, there's a forward turn, so the rope never twists. So he showed me a few of the Charo-style uh, rope tricks, and then he said, he always called me son. He was younger than me, but he called me son. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a weird thing. He said, son, he said, you want to go to Tijuana and study with the Charos for a while during the holidays? I said, hell yeah, let's go. So... We went down for, the boss let us go for a couple of months because it's kind of downtime on the ranch. And so we go down, and I spent that whole time in Tijuana um, just roping with the Charles every day. And uh, sometimes we'd go do horse catches, you know, front foot and horses. And, and uh, you know, you didn't tip them over. You just caught them and then threw the slack to them, you know, but you were... <clears throat> learning how to do all the Charles style roping. And I was like a, gosh, like one of the guys. I was the only white guy yeah. there, you know. And I was on the side of Tijuana that it's only Mexicans and, you know, Charles. And we'd go to the Charo bars at night and big cantinas, you know. The very, very first night we were there, 
Chucho, he's quite a, had quite a sense of humor. He said, son, he said, just walk right in there. Well, it's like in the movies. I walk in, open the door, walk up toward the bar. The mariachis are playing, and they stop playing. <laughs> the whole place goes Damn. quiet. There's Bring 200 and some people in there, and they're looking at me like, why, boy? You just walked into the wrong place. And I was like, shit. Well, then into the door comes Chucho. And he laughs and he slaps me on the back. And then everybody's like, oh, Chucho, good to see you. I was family like that. Yeah, that's and awesome. They just totally accepted me. And uh, he told me, he said, yeah, he's a cowboy. We cowboy together in Montana. And and uh, and he wants to learn from the Charles. And, man, I was in like Flynn. So we're there. <clears throat> quite a few weeks i don't remember i kind of lost track of time but i know this one night of course we went to the bar first and we never got any dinner and i was pretty hungry and the bars they just stayed open till nobody was there anymore and uh it's pretty late at night and i said chucho man i'm starving and so he said we'll go get some tacos taco stands are always open and that was my first time to have brain tacos, eye tacos, and tongue tacos. That's all they had to offer. <laughs> eye tacos. Hmm. I don't speak Spanish real well, but no bueno. You didn't try them? I ate them. Oh, yeah? I was freaking starving. I was hungry enough to eat eyeballs of a cow in a taco. What was that like? <laughs> well, when they pop. It's kind of like what you oh, imagine. It'd so be it's like. not like. Is it no, good it though? Whole, it was a whole eyeball. A whole. Like whole four one. or five of them in a tongue. Yeah. yeah. Like, like that like that soup in Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Because the tongue, yeah. at least they like dice it usually. The tongue wasn't bad. That was yeah. the good one. Yeah. The language. The brain not tacos. Bad. I don't re- recommend them either. <laughs> that is some Indiana Jones. But thing. I was. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was or Liver so, King. <laughs> I was so damn hungry. Yeah. I needed it. Well, then we go on, and the next thing I know. And there was a little more drinking involved after that. The next thing I know, it's like in the movies. I'm in the back. I remember it like it's five minutes ago. I'm in the back of this red Datsun pickup. It's out in the middle of the desert. And there are four or five other, you know, it's a pretty small pickup bed, a Datsun pickup. There are four or five other Mexicans back there with me. Everybody's passed out sleeping. And there's tequila bottles all over the place. (laughs) And... I wake up and I, I see this and, and it's like a hundred degrees and I've been drinking tequila for since the day before. And I sat up straight and I said, I'm turning into a damn Mexican. (laughs) (laughs) I got to get back to Montana. And then I decided it's, it's time to go back to the ranch. Yeah. This is getting out of hand. Yeah. The world might have lost Buck Brandman. We might have had somebody else down <laughs> yeah. there. So me and Chucho, we load up. We're in his pickup. We load up, and we're heading heading home. Well, we stopped over for New Year's at Big Bear, California, went skiing, oh, nice. and just rented some skis, and skiing was really crappy, but the word on the street was there are a lot of really good-looking women at Big Bear, so we went there, give that a try. 
I've heard that. Had fun. <laughs> then, then we went on to Vegas. Well, we're pulling into Vegas. Chucho said, son, we're kind of running low on diesel. And we'd been talking that when we got to Vegas, we we're going to go to one of these shows, you know, and just really do it upright. Going to have a big steak dinner and go to one of these fancy stage shows. He said, son, I'm, we're about out of diesel. How much money you got? And I said, seven bucks. Seven dollars, son? I said, how much money you have, Chucho? I have zero. <laughs> I said, oh, we are so screwed. Well, I knew the manager of the ranch wanted us back pretty bad. Mike Thomas, which I think you've met, Mike. Yeah. He wanted us back pretty bad because we had about 60 head of cults to get started. So I knew if we slept in the truck for a couple of days, we could call Mike and he'd wire us some money so we'd get home. But we kind of wanted to get home, you know. So we go in. I'll never forget it. I can show you the same slot machine. We go into the Barbary Coast. And uh, he's like, son, what are you doing? I said, gambling. <laughs> seven bucks. I got seven <laughs> bucks, silver dollars, you know. I dropped the first three in. Maximum bet. I'm down to four bucks. Put in the next three. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, 150 bucks. <laughs> so I cash in. What do we do? Well, you do what any good red-blooded American boy would do. <clears throat> we went and got us a cocktail, got us a big steak, went to a stage show, saw all the beautiful women, had the best time about three in the morning. Chucho said, well, son, we better, we better get going. We better head for Montana. Okay. Only one problem, Chucho. I'm down to three bucks. <laughs> 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 so we're right back in the pickle we were in a few hours before. He said, so what are we going to do? I said, we're going to go back to the same slot machine. We did. I put in the three bucks maximum bet, 75 bucks. Grabbed That's the money, bad. filled up the truck, and headed to Montana. Got the heck out headed of home. Vegas. <laughs> that's one of the best gambling stories I've heard. Yeah. And that's where uh, that winter when I was in Tijuana, when we crossed the border, Chucho said, all right, son, now you're in my country. I speak English in your country. Now you speak Spanish in mine. I'm not speaking English to you anymore <laughs> until we cross over the border again. And, of course, naturally me, I said, well, that's fine. I didn't really give a shit about hearing you talk to me anyway. So it's fine with me if I don't talk for a couple of months. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> but I had a little bitty kind of a cheapo Kmart cassette player that I'd have in my room. And all I had was two Tanya Tucker cassettes. And I just kind of wanted to hear English, you know, kind of lonesome <laughs> for that. And I'd listen to Tanya Tucker every night. And uh, I told her that story years later. She was really proud of that, you know. But, yeah, every night I'd listen to Tanya Tucker music, and the rest was fine with me. I got to where I could kind of understand them, but I never did really get to where I could speak Spanish much. But, yeah, just another one of those great adventures of mine, you know. Man. So I know I've heard you talk about wanting to do, like, a, a biographical pick, but you could make just that story a really good movie. Uh, you could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could make that just a – hangover style type movie yeah. in yeah. a couple months in Mexico. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. That 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 has it all right there. Yeah, Conflict, it kind of does. I never comedy. Really thought about that, but you, yeah. Yeah. Man. That could kind of fit in there with all the pretty horses and yeah. the night in old Mexico. Yeah. 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 Somewhere in between there. Yeah. 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 You could totally do that. <clears throat> yeah, you and, could. And you'd have a diverse cast. You got a soundtrack. You could yeah, you could really <laughs> Yeah. 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 You got the Tanya Tucker already. Exactly. The the white guy laying there in bed listening to Tanya Tucker so lonesome. <laughs> like that I can see the trailer right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Well if somebody important's listening, they better get on. No that. one listens to this crap, Ben. Only only a few doesn't. <laughs> no one a handful of this shit. Small you never handful. know. There might be a time when Joe Rogan calls you guys up and said, Hey, would you mind if I was on your your podcast yeah i don't know it'd be like joe i don't know man hey joe if the we, phone's not we just ringing, got a lot it's of me. a lot of shit going on right now <laughs> if it's not ringing it's me exactly <laughs> exactly oh, man. so you've been telling this story lately about the origin of the half breed yeah and that's really cool and yeah. if nobody's heard it you could even repeat it but like what's the lineage then where are those guys the original indian cowboys are, is there a lineage of them? Well, they were first. They were the the natives that were conquered by the conquistadors, the Spaniards, and then they were enslaved and they worked on the on the ranches, which were the missions of California. And eventually, that was really the birth of of what was the vaquero, and they were really the first cowboy in North America, which is. Some people have been led to believe if they've only read white European history, they would be led to believe that the first documented cowboy was in Texas. Well, that was 85 years later. The first cowboy was in California. But they eventually, this was what was cool about the vaquero culture. If you were a vaquero, it, it, around that time, um, 1769, I believe is the right date for the Portola expedition, which mapped out all of the missions of California where they're going to be. Um, shortly after that, that's when the ranches started to grow into something really substantial. If you were a vaquero, you made your living on a horse. You were highly exalted. You were considered the highest form of life as far as humanity in that part of the world. And if you were a vaquero, whether you were an Indian or a black man or you were Chinese or you were a white European, that was a brotherhood to where vaqueros did not see color or any sort of ethnicity. Mm. If you were a vaquero, you were part of a very elite brotherhood which was kind of cool you know yeah absolutely you think of all the bullshit that goes on nowadays people are worried about what the hell color somebody is i don't never did quite get that yeah i can't really wrap my head around that i've i've been too busy with my head down working my whole life to ever worry about what someone's suntan looked like yeah or if they didn't have a suntan i i never could put that together but the cool thing during the early days of the vaquero, if you were a vaquero, it didn't matter what you looked like. You were judged on your skills. And if you were damn sure enough a vaquero, you were highly exalted by all of your brothers. 
and all of the people who were non-riders, they looked up to the vaquero. They were very elite people. And uh, it was quite a, it's quite a great proud tradition, really. Mm. And yeah, there's a lot of great California history that, that I wish more people knew about. Yeah, I've never heard it explained like that. Yeah, yeah that's that sounds like awesome. a real meritocracy. Yeah, in in horsemanship. That yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, th- this was a thought I had last weekend when you were kind of explaining this in the clinic. Um, obviously, you hold, and I think Ben and I. I can speak for Ben. I think the both of us do, but you hold quite a reverence for that style of horsemanship. Yeah. Um, do you think like the thought I had was, well, what if Tom Dorrance was born like outside Amarillo? Would Ray Hunt and Buck Branneman have split reins and rubber on their horns? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that the Vaquera style would still exist, but at least from my perspective, I feel like people like Tom, Ray, and yourself have really done quite a bit to bring that from a regional style to a international, internationally known style of horsemanship. Have you ever thought about that? Well, yeah, I, I, not necessarily quite like that, but I can tell you this. I can answer it. <clears throat> that if if Tom Dorrance was, you know, a guy that grew up in Texas and had a short rope and a little taco hat and rubber on the horn and all that stuff, uh, I would have never known him mm-hmm. regardless because the cowboys I grew up around on the Flying D Ranch, they all rode slick fork saddles and and, uh, and were slick horn ropers and, mm-hmm. and damn sure some of the best ranch cowboys in the entire West on the Flying D. At one time, the Irvine Company owned it, and then Bobby Shelton owned it out of Texas, and then then eventually it sold off to uh, Ted Turner. And then he got rid of all the cowboys and all the cows and did the whole buffalo thing, which, hmm. <clears throat> you know, was not that popular with a lot of the locals because it was a great, great ranch, the Flying D. And... Uh, but I grew up around top-notch, top-tier cowboys, so they were a big influence on me already. That makes sense. So I knew what a good cowboy was and, and what a slickhorn roper was. So I I grew up in that tradition, and so I would have carried on in that tradition whether I met Tom or Ray or not. But, you know, the, with the things that Ray taught me saved my life. I I wouldn't still be doing this for a living because I wouldn't have lasted because of the way I was going about things. And there are a lot of cowboys, cowboy for a short time, and then they get hurt. They get kind of chilled, something. And then they move on and get another job, and they just talk about what they used to be. And, yeah. And uh, I don't plan on being a has-been. And if not for what Ray and Tom taught me, uh, well, I'd have probably moved on too. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. Well, Ben and I are counting on you sticking around for a good long while. I'm going to so. try. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I we know. need to send him down to Panama, though. Get him hooked up with one of those guys doing stem cells. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that's yeah. Like, there's some cool stuff coming out on that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm only 25, and it sounds intriguing to me. Yeah. I wonder what they could do for me. I yeah. feel pretty good. Yeah, 
but you wonder how much better you could feel. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. I wish they could just give me a shot and grow some discs in my back or something. Just let it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, like they're saying, I don't know that it grows <laughs> discs, but it certainly does some some good stuff in there. Yeah, they'll get there. Yeah, they probably keep you around will, for another you know, thirty five. 40 years that's the thing you know that just the medicine has changed and gotten so much better that they can you can go to the body shop and get repaired Mm -hmm. you know and whereas years ago people had kind of break down and nothing they could do it's like all right you're in too much pain to ride anymore yeah all right that chapter's closed yeah we we had a vet on here um who works for uh zoetis now but he's been all over the world and worked in Saudi Arabia, worked internationally quite a bit, but he was talking about that shift in veterinary medicine, Mm -hmm. how it's gone from just give everything steroids to a more regenerative approach. Mm -hmm. And obviously human medicine's kind of done the same deal. Let's thing and all that. Yeah. 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 No, it's a big difference. Well, and then even just catching illnesses and diagnosing things that we used to not even notice or know what to do with. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, two years ago, and you remember when I had to come out to get my knee operated on by Bill, and then I ended up getting diagnosed with polymyalgia rheumatica. If not for prednisone, I was about a week away from being in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. And if not for the modern medicine, uh, I would have been crippled for life. If you don't just get over that, yeah. you wouldn't have seen me here today. You know, it had been the end of the line for me, and uh, I'm all good. It's totally in remission and likely will never come back. Mm. So that's awesome. Cool winter. That's winter. great for us to hear. Yeah, <laughs> that's terrific. It was it was bad, and it was really hard for me mentally because I'd always been pretty fit and strong and athletic, and I was like an old man, and way before my time, and it just. And I thought, is this the end for me? And it looked like it. And uh, so I was on the prednisone for about a year and a half, which is kind of dangerous to take. It's not real good for you. I didn't have any choice. I had to take it. Now I haven't had any since last January, and I'm all good. That's great. That's terrific. Yeah. Is there like a major side effect from that? Yeah, it can shut your kidneys down, your liver. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little worried about my kidneys. So I've been going to a kidney doctor, nephrology, I think they call it, just every few months. And the last time I went, she said, man, this is getting better all the time since I got off the prednisone. And it was kind of scary there. She, I didn't like her tone when I first started going to her. And that's the last thing I need is, like, be on dialysis or something. That would really suck. Oh, my gosh. That so, dialysis, just the act of having to do it, my grandfather did that for several years, and that kills people. Yeah. It kills your spirit way yeah. before it kills anything physical. Yeah. yeah. So last time I went, the numbers were better and better, and she said, if, if you come back now in a few months and uh, it checks out either the same numbers or a little bit better – uh, she said, I don't think I ever need to see you again. So I was like, good. Well, you're real nice, but I really don't want to see you again either. So. <laughs> yeah. 
something I wanted to ask you about, yeah, before we is um over the years, you're you got a great memory with remembering names, yeah, and people. Is that something you were always good at, or have you had no. to work at that? No, I had to work at it. What did you do? I guess I, what's the secret? Well, first of all, I understood that there's no greater show of respect to someone when you're doing a class than to remember their name and and call them by name. And so I just really, I got to where if I would see someone's name tag, I would say it. And if I said it once or twice, I had it. Hmm. And it wouldn't even matter too much after that. And, you know, once in a while I have a week where I'm off, you know, there might be three or four that I'm just like, gosh, dang it, why can't I remember his name? Everybody else I have, but for the most part, I learn them all. But I've worked at it. It's important that you show people respect by learning their name. And once in a while, I'll mess a name up, not too often. But then I'll tell them, I'll say, just so you know, you only had to remember one name this week. And you knew my name before I got to town. I got to remember 60 or more. And uh, so they're like, oh, yeah, well, I never really thought about that. But, no, it's, it's, a, it's a show of respect that I think it's important that you make the effort to do. And, but uh, not everybody's good at that, you know. But, uh, yeah, you just have to apply yourself. Yeah, it probably keeps you sharp doing that all yeah, the time because th- you're constantly meeting new people and yeah. remembering names. And yeah, yeah, I think so. Probably not a great chance of Alzheimer's for you. Well, I hope not. Doesn't seem <laughs> like it not. at this point. I think I've been doing clinics for so long right now that even if I had Alzheimer's, <laughs> Riata could probably wheel me out there and go, okay, Dad, just talk about that horse stuff. Go. And then I'd probably do it anyway. I'd be on <laughs> autopilot. I'd do the clinic. And then they'd be like, okay, we have to take him away now. Say goodbye, everybody. And <laughs> then I'd be drooling down my neck the rest of the day or something. But yeah. Well, and you'd be teed up for a second career after that because <laughs> we'd need a president sooner or later, and you'd be just yeah. ready to go. Yeah, that's true. That's a good thought. <laughs> so what, we have an election coming up, and then there'll be four years. So yeah. maybe 2020. Yeah. 2028. That'll be perfect. Maybe. Brandon in 2028. I might just, yeah, I might be all right. We'll see. See how my schedule goes. And if you want a really, a really top shelf. Well, that was the point. You won't have to be all right, Buck. We'll just select you. <laughs> if you want a really top shelf vice don't, president, don't you go with uh, Branham and Barnes. And then, <laughs> and then you can't oh, go yeah. along with that. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about having to wheel someone out. Golly. <laughs> oh. Uh, Man. We'll make a couple hats just in case. Yeah. Well, um, Buck, we've really appreciated you spending the time to do this with us. It's meant a whole lot to us. Well, it's my pleasure, you guys. And yeah. Gosh, you knows, you know, you may grow this into something really cool, you know. And yeah. uh, you get you took your shot, you know, you're doing it. And a lot of people just talk about doing things. Yeah. So There'll probably be other things in your life you'll do, and you'll be like, well, I tried that, and that didn't work out. But you got to keep swinging. You know? Absolutely. And, uh, hell, you never know. You know, I can I can imagine. I mean, you guys are pretty good interviewers. You ask good questions. 
um, I can imagine that uh, there'd be a hell of a lot of people this would really appeal to. So, well, thank you. Yeah. I well, think you guys f- did good. Feel free to plug us on the move. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there oh, you go. But we do, we do have one last thing, and it's kind of something we do with all our guests. Um, we, have them, we have them do a Mount Rushmore. Okay. So, like, you ever, like, watch ESPN. Like, you know, in ESPN in, like, the middle of July where there's not, it's just baseball and, like, the WNBA on and stuff. Right. And they've got to fill three hours of content. Well, you just lost all the WNBA players there, but go ahead. <laughs> I've, this is ESPN, not me. If we had WNBA players listening to this show, our reach was far exceeded what I thought it was. So. <laughs> um, but, you know, they've got to fill three hours of content or whatever it is right. on Sports Center. Yeah. And so they're like, well, let's name our Mount Rushmore of – NBA players and they got Jordan and Bird and yada 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 and then they're like, well, how do you leave Akeem Olajuwon off there? And then ha- and and now they got something to talk about for two and a half hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. So we each guest we try to give them a Mount Rushmore. Um. For example, Jacob, because he was part of the winning team of the pro am, we uh, had him do his Mount Rushmore of rope shots. Um. But with you, what we'd like to do. Um, because you're so well known, uh, kind of for the sh- the showmanship in your clinics, you come out and you ride before you start a class and stuff, and um, it it really captures a lot of people's attention and imagination and stuff. Uh, we were curious what what would be your Mount Rushmore of songs to ride to? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, so four your top four. Okay, well, you heard me riding to to uh, that Tones and I song today. Um, yep. Uh, what's it called? Um, Dance Monkey. Dance Monkey. Dance Monkey. Yeah, yeah you heard that. It's Dance Former. Da- yeah, that. Yeah, one. yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Um, I'm impressed that made the Mount Rushmore. To know, be honest, right? <laughs> I know. I mean, because I grew up on country music: George Jones, Buck Owens, Patsy Cline. Yeah. Tanya Tucker, yeah. Tammy Wynette. Uh, I grew up to that, and I've always been dyed in wool, dyed in the wool country music fan. <clears throat> but I like that. It just kind of really sticks with me. Yeah. And. Uh, the Bradley Cooper song out of the Star is Born. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of in it. In the, sh- uh, not, not sh- in the shallow. No, uh, it's the, the one other he does one by himself. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't think of the name. I can't think of the name. That didn't help me. We should have yeah. had the playlist on tap. Yeah. Well, I'll, I can look it up. Yeah. Look up the Bradley Cooper song. I'll look it up. And of course, Tanny Tucker, about anything Tanny Tucker. I love Tanya. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly enough, I only get four, right? Yep, Mount Rushmore. Well, I'm going to give you five anyway. Well, you can do an honorable mention. That's fine. Okay. Um, I love Lady Gaga. Yeah. Um, gosh, she's got some great tunes. And uh, so there's two or three that I really like, but the John Wayne song I really like. Oh, yeah. that's a banger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. A good song. That is a banger. That's, it is. That is a hundred percent a banger. That's a good one. You can just picture her. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I just I even love how the song starts. She's yep. like, I just like to get on the back of your horse and go a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna meet her sometime because I got a feeling she probably likes cowboys. We'd probably have a nice visit. Yeah, I it'll totally, happen. Totally dig her. Uh, and then the honorable mention goes to someone who was a friend of mine um, that that just passed away, Olivia Newton John. Ah. Um, I've just ever since Greece, you know, that was big, the musical Greece when I was a kid, when I was in high school. And, uh, oh, she just was so damn beautiful and could sing like crazy. I just adored her. And in the last, oh, 10, 15 years, I got to be friends with her. And, uh, I first met her in Melbourne, Australia. She was part of a, uh, a guest she was a guest on a ladies show in the mornings. It's like the Australian version of the view only they're all pretty there. Very pretty and charming and <laughs> not rude or offensive Yeah, and, and actually very amusing. Yeah. Not that you have opinions on the view, but right. Yeah. So you know, I, I wouldn't want to say anything about the view here in America, but the one over there was really cool. They had me on that cause I was promoting the documentary buck. And that's where I met Olivia Newton-John. I said, I just got to tell you, I know everybody tells you this, but I've just been totally jonesing about you since I was in high school. And I said, I I love that song, Hopelessly Devoted. Mm. Love that song. Well, now um, we got to be friends from there. And she said, well, you know what? I know you. I know all about you. I said, well, how could you? She said, I rode in a few Ray Hunt clinics in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, many years ago. I said, you got to be kidding me. I rode in those same clinics. And she said, well, um, I might have even been in the same clinics as you, but I kind of tried pretty hard not to be noticed. And I was like, that really bums me out <laughs> that we were in the same clinic together, and I didn't know who you were. Jeez. And, But anyway, we got to be friends, and... And I uh, saw her a couple of years ago in San Inez, and we were there for the rope and had dinner with her. And one of the most charming, sweet people you would ever meet in your life. She was just, she was everything you hoped that she would be. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I was pretty sad when she passed away a couple of weeks ago. Gosh. I just, so I, I just, to honor her, I play that song, Hopelessly Devoted in My Clinics now. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What was the Bradley Cooper song? Is it Black Eyes? Nope. Maybe it's time. Nope. Out of time. Nope. It was from the Stars Born. Yeah, I'm going through the list of the ones they had. Yeah, you have the soundtrack. Just up, Bradley don't Cooper. You? Yeah. Well, we'll play it for you tomorrow. We'll we'll pin we'll add that in post. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll just that. get a little clip of you tomorrow saying Come that on and now. we'll just edit it in. Yeah. Well, probably if I look up Bradley Cooper, there's Text only Jacob, so many things he's you, done. Text Jacob, he'll tell you exactly what the song right. is because he plays it all the time. Yeah, but yeah, I that's a him. that's a great tune. What's the my um my personal favorite of what you've written to? Well, the ZZ Top Lagrange. Pretty hard to beat that too. I man, yeah, especially or sharp dress man, yeah. Sharp, I was, Jacob and I were talking about that last night. Sharp dressed man, especially if you've got a horse in the two rein. Yeah. 
that's about as cool as it gets. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. about as sharp. As, but yeah. but I just Lagrange for whatever reason. I've always loved that song, and yeah. then like you know, you get the horse kind of going with that. Yeah. That that's just a heck of a beat, man. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, I yeah. can't believe I didn't get that alibi. 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 Yeah. Yep. 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 That is a good one. That is a really good tune. Yeah. He, you know, and I know he just sang for that deal. That guy's got some talent now. Mm -hmm. I wish he'd record more. Yeah. Because I really like that kind of a, that style. It's kind of rock and roll style, but it's, it's real music, you know? Yeah. 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 It gets some, got some soul. Grit and some soul in there. Yeah. So we are wrapping up, but that, that's interesting you say that because Ben and I have talked about how we kind of have different preferences in music. I mean, most of us, I'd say for the most part, it's like country Western stuff, but you kind of like the more clean cut artists. And then I, I would say I'm more like, I'm, I like ZZ top and like yeah. stuff that's a little more feel. So, yeah. Um, well, we haven't well, talked they, about ZZ songs. top yet. Though. They have well, great, they have great energy, you know? Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. But your, um, you, and your music, from what I've seen, casts a pretty wide net because you have the yeah. really clean-cut songs, and then yeah. you have the other stuff that's more kind of like they play with feel and it's a little dirty. Yeah, like it's little, not, it's not edgy. Yeah, yeah edgy. Edgy is yeah. a good word for it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, man, that that's a great list. So yeah. we'll we'll have to put that in the show notes. Oh yeah, there you go. Well, Buck, thank you very much, and I know you got a clinic tomorrow, but. We love you. Everybody loves you. Thank and you uh, we appreciate having you in our lives. You're like the kind of like the godfather. Well, and even on our podcast, you know, I know we uh, we talk about you all the time. So yeah. we're really glad to have you. Yeah. You're kind of like a reference point for us well, in uh, going forward in that. life. You know, I <clears throat> when I tell people in the clinics, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell them, I'll say, I know you appreciate being here and, and uh you got to know that I appreciate you because all you guys that ride with me, um, I would be lost without you too. Yeah. We'll keep coming back. That's awesome. You can count on that. Cool. All right. All right. That's a wrap. Bye everybody.